Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment you are going to hear the voice of a man who will tell you some tremendously important facts. Welcome to the Reality Revolution. I have a very special episode today. Today, we have Shweta Hariharan, an amazing New Thought historian who works with Josiah Brandt in the School of Imagination. I got a wonderful chance to meet Shweta at the Mad Mystic Tour in which we went to New York and traveled all around New York looking at the history of Neville Goddard. And I was blown away. Shweta introduced me to some amazing new information, which I had to talk to her about regarding the history of Neville Goddard, Abdullah, even Joseph Murphy. And this is information that I had not received. Everybody that follows Neville Goddard, we all get the same sort of information. We're all on the same Facebook groups and we hear the same things. We hear the same lectures. But the fascinating aspect to Neville is the history, the history of Neville Goddard, the history of the New Thought Movement. And I thought I knew everything about the, the history of Neville Goddard, but Shweta has introduced me to some new um, and fascinating subjects about Neville Goddard. So welcome to the Reality Revolution, Shweta. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for, for that lovely intro. So talk to me a little bit about your exposure to Neville Goddard, your journey, how Neville Goddard obviously came to a point where he interested you and you went down this journey to learn more. Tell me about your personal experience with Neville Goddard. Absolutely. So me, um, I have been interested in learning about who I really am for about since I was 16 years old and I'm 30 now. So for about 14 years and I went down the same path as many students that you probably talked to where we learned about the secret and then we learned a little bit about the law of attraction through different writers and teachers. And then I kind of gave it all up. Uh, and I had a difficult experience actually uh, putting the pieces together. And especially coming from a Hindu background, you probably talk to a lot of people that come from a Christian background, but coming from a sort of religious Hindu background, the teachings of that they taught about desire and how to like live a uh, like pure life didn't seem congruent to how life actually was. And so uh, when I discovered Neville, I was in, again, a similar situation as a lot of uh, students that come to this. I was in a state of heartbreak and his words made sense of what love truly is, to be honest. And so I've been kind of in a Neville fueled consciousness exploration for about four to five years. And in that in that time period, I just kept tabs on what other historian and researchers on the internet were doing. You know, I really want to thank you for acknowledging the research that I brought to that Mad Mystic tour that happened on October 1st, 2022. Uh, but it really has been a group effort. So there's been quite a few people on Reddit, um, on a website called Cool Wisdom Books, I think it's called, or Cool Mystic Books. I'm going to tell you exactly what address that is. Um, that have actually contributed in putting a lot of those puzzle pieces together, whether that's the research on Abdullah, Neville Goddard. Um, and then I brought my sort of um, investigator hat on and found some research as well through Ancestry.com. And I wanted to bring that up because it's been a fascinating adventure from a me, for, for me from a personal perspective. Yes, you know, um, figuring out who I really am, testing these teachings and techniques. Uh, but also it's along the way, kind of learning a little bit more about who Neville was and validating the stories that he had. Like it really helped put the puzzle pieces together about this teacher that I was trusting as well. The teacher I was trusting, the community that he lived in and that he emigrated to in New York, 
and other, you know, his teacher, his teacher, Abdullah. So putting those puzzle pieces together alongside my journey was has been a really interesting, fascinating experience. And actually that Mad Mystic tour was a kind of an outpicturing of the culmination of research I'd been doing because I really wanted to prove that Neville's teachings and stories that he illuminated in his books were real and true, if I'm honest with you. And putting the research together not only proved that to me, but it answered so many other deeper questions as well. Yeah, you're, the research that you provided, um, which you have, have definitely told me, what you came from other sources, as all historians, you find you know information from other sources. It added to my own validation of doubts that I might have about Neville Goddard and further information that I wanted to have. So before we go into the stuff that we talked about, I wanted to ask you, since we did the Mad Mystic Tour, Mitch Horowitz's book came out and he had posted the death certificate of Neville Goddard. And this has wow. been, you know, running through the community. People have been talking about this because mm. uh, the the death, did you get a chance to, to see the death certificate? I've seen it on his Insta. Okay. So yeah. the death certificate for people that might not have seen it, go to Mitch Horowitz's Twitter feed. Uh, you can find it there. It's you, you probably, it's also on Reddit. I saw it on Reddit. And it just basically says that, that he, he had bled out very much like Frank Carter had described in his in his lectures and that he had cirrhosis of the liver mm. and so a lot of people were bothered by this they're like yeah. oh neville had a lot of demons and he had a lot of shadows and he, had, he was addicted to alcohol and i don't trust him anymore uh when you read the frank carter lectures it it he, he that's what he said happened to neville but mm -hmm. he also refers to a lecture that says that the napkin over the face is symbolic of, of re being reborn as god and so I wanted to get your feelings on it, if it changed your own impressions of Neville and what you thought about that. That's an incredible question. Um, and yeah, I love Mitch and I love his thorough research as well. And a lot of his work uh, also kind of came into play in the Mad Mystic Tour. So great call out there. I had this exact same question kind of early on, maybe a year into Neville. Because as I was starting to learn about Neville and his teachings, I'm like, tell me, let me find out a little bit more about this man. What kind of life he lived? So I had that question of, he kind of died early, didn't he? And he died from alcoholism because I had also read the Frank Carter lectures and sort of saw the rumors online. So this is something I had to think about um, and I went to the end of. And so the conclusion I've come to this is Neville Goddard foresaw his departure. Uh, he had the life of his dreams on this planet. And life is timeless. You can't measure it in years. His experience, his breadth of experience that he experienced on this planet, you know, really uh, touched many, many lifetimes. Look at us 50 years later still discussing him. Um, the idea that he would uh, experience an early death, that, that's looking at something in a very linear fashion. I mean, this man changed many, many lives. He married the woman of his dreams who bore him a beautiful child, um, a beautiful, he has beautiful children that carry on his legacy. Uh, and, and I think, so that's one thing that I kind of got out of this, which is what is it to us to say that he died early or he died a gruesome death? Like, how can we put that judgment on that? But also there is a breadth of symbolic meaning of Neville's death and what, and I haven't even gotten to explore that because I'm still new to the sort of biblical understanding of a lot of this. Um, and I'm still putting the puzzle pieces together there, but I have no doubt that Mitch Horowitz's work will, you know, put together the uh, metaphysical pieces behind Neville's uh, death. And because there's a lot of spiritual meaning behind the kind of death that Neville had that, uh, you know, that we're still going to learn. So 
I want to jump to conclusions about what this means uh, about Neville's quality of life, Neville's understanding of the law of assumption. Neville had lived a life and he had he was done. I mean, he he wrapped it up. And that's that's at least my read on the matter. It's uh, but it's something that I thought about like maybe many years ago because I was also considering I'm like, you know, he talks about loving to drink. Is that something is that something that I need to consider for me, you know, someone who likes to imbibe myself? Like what what was what was Neville really teaching about that? And actually, a lot of those teachings uh, come from Abdullah. So um, there's you can't jump to conclusions about what what kind of life Neville led just because it was ended at a certain time. I mean, the quality of his life, we can only a lot of us can only hope to achieve, you know, and we're, we're yeah. Well, I found, you know, my impression of Neville having read these lectures is a longing like like in in like in the later 60s when he's talking he's experienced the promise at the point where he's almost exclusively talking about the promise there's this longing for him to move on he's tasted this next world that he talks about and he's he said you know basically i've been sent back to teach this message about what i've achieved and as a result the what he has gone through personally is this letting go he's done with this life and he wants to move on so he's celebrating and um that's kind of what i i got the impression of and so yeah. he enjoyed drinking for sure and he talks about enjoying drinking and he and um you know it it depends you know his his relationship with with abdullah as well there are mm -hmm. other great mystical teachers that mm -hmm. <laughs> that like to drink alan watts essentially mm -hmm. um the same thing so it doesn't take away from me but it helps me to understand him so absolutely um, yeah so, so the first thing to talk about outside of neville that I, I i just wanted to thank i thought it was so cool we we actually drove the bus and we saw where abdullah lived and we also because we have this this idea who is abdullah and we you had talked about joseph murphy also had having worked with abdullah and and you documented that the, the, the french journal that um, the French interview that's that where Joseph Murphy acknowledges having worked with Abdullah. Mm -hmm. And I always had this question, did uh, did Joseph Murphy know Neville Goddard? Were they working together with Abdullah? And you found this this cool little advertisement, which is Joseph Murphy introducing Neville Goddard uh, at the Fox Embassy Theater. Wow, that's amazing. So th th they were interacting, right? Absolutely. I mean, like many greats in in any kind of industry, they had their own audience, their own sort of nuanced message. Uh, they, they were a leader in their own right. But that to me was is proof that uh, they knew each other, they promoted each other. Uh, and they were both giants in the New Thought Movement. So it was pretty, even though Neville really didn't consider himself a part of the New Thought Movement, I mean, he was part of that greater community. Kind of like we have that comparison sometimes between communities that call themselves strict Neville versus like more open-minded conscious creation communities. Or like we have those delineations. They had then that then as well. And Neville wanted to stand apart from the sort of typical New Thought. But it was really cool to see that they not only knew each other, but they had the same teacher as well, which exactly you pointed out that we learned that there was a set of really obscure French journals from Quebec uh, 
uh, that in the 80s did a set of interviews that we, we can't really find a translation for, uh, but it was recorded in another newspaper. So you can see that it was a kind of um, broken telephone and I haven't been able to find the original translation. But essentially, Joseph Murphy tells this interviewer that he knows Abdullah and he knew uh, he was he was uh, told by Abdullah that he actually had a sibling. He had five siblings instead of thinking he only had four. And turns out that was accurate when he went to his uh, when Joseph Murphy talked to his mother, his mother said that, that, that they'd had a stillborn sibling. So he had a really uh, incredibly mysterious experience with Abdullah, similar to Neville. I don't know if he was under the tutelage of Ab Abdullah in the same way as Neville, because as we know, Neville learned from Abdullah for seven whole years. So I don't mm -hmm. know if Joseph Murphy had that kind of relationship uh, with Abdullah, but it, I'm, I'm, I'm always being, you know, openly sort of inviting more research to, to jump into my lap so that I can yeah. have more puzzle pieces of the stories. Yeah. It always, it always struck me with Joseph Murphy, the similarity in the teaching. Um, there's especially some books where he really goes in the symbolic nature of the Bible. And so it kind of reiterated mm -hmm. that for me. So then we, um, you, uh, one of the, the famous stories, and for people who don't know Abdullah, we're going to talk about Abdullah a little bit more. But uh, so one of the famous stories with, with Neville is his, going to Barbados, imagining going to Barbados, not, not actually having the resources to go to Barbados. And Abdullah says, you're in Barbados. And so this very much could have been just a story. You know, it could have been a story that he was telling. But you verified this story. You found the manifest. For uh, mm. his, uh, he was as a list of passengers to go to as as we see here on his trip to the to Barbados. So we know he's mm. not lying that this had happened, right? <laughs> yeah, we know he's not lying. We know that the details match up perfectly to the many many times Neville shared these stories in his lectures because Neville shared these stories without notes, right? He's talking from memory, and so he would say these stories in multiple lectures, maybe in a book. And those details never varied much. They may, they may have varied a little bit uh, just because, you know, when you tell a story enough times, sometimes you forget if it happened in February or March, that kind of thing. But mostly they were quite consistent details. And you, the fact that I could find them, those details matching the documentation that's, that's there was so cool because uh, the, the cool thing about Neville being a, a New Yorker and coming to you, the U.S. in uh, into New York is that they have great documentation over the years. I mean, it's a world-class city. So you can find a lot of those documents. You can find, you know, what's in a census. You can find an address because they had great documentation of immig immigrants coming in and where they're living and all that good stuff. So one of the, one of his iconic stories of uh, kind of that being the sort of catalyst to him learning who he is and buying the pearl no matter what. I mean, this at that time, Neville was broke um, he didn't have any Christmas plans. Um, he had learned from Abdullah some of who he was, but hadn't demonstrated it to himself to become a master yet. And Abdullah slammed the door, which is kind of a rude response, but uh, it was really cool to actually retrace those steps in the Mad Mystic tour because it reminded me of many times that I've had to slam the door to uh, on an old story. And I think that that's become a kind of a meme. I don't know if you've seen it all mm -hmm. over the internet, that sort of meme yeah. of, oh, Abdullah slammed the door in your face. And then it's a sort of almost like a brutal reminder to shift your state. Well, the funniest thing about that trip when you read it is before he goes on the trip, he claims, I, I didn't drink. I didn't um, eat meat. I didn't have sex. <laughs> I didn't smoke. And then he says on, on the boat trip, he 
did all four of those things. So Neville was Neville got lucky. Right. On, Neville got lucky on the he trip. figured it out. That's so funny. And so honestly, to go back to what you were saying earlier, I didn't want to forget this point that I wanted to make that. Yes, Neville may have passed from um, a liver cirrhosis. And, you know, we can think about those 3D gruesome details and connect it to a 3D cause if we wanted to. But the man was lecturing at a podium two months before he passed. That, 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 right. When you're lecturing from a memory, you're lecturing from a place of uh, gratitude and earnestness. And it's a consistent message he had for 30 years. Um, he was so committed to his message till two months before he passed. I mean, that is someone that is living their cause, living their truth and living it healthfully. You know, I think mm-hmm. you, you, that's why I feel you can't really think of uh, his drinking experience or his, uh, his passing in this, in a, in a sort of 3d only way. I mean, this man lived his life so fully. And so I just wanted to bring that, that part up yeah. um, because in, in my research, I, I always found a lecture, many different lectures that would be like, this is his last lecture. And, but then it would be another lecture that said this was his very last lecture and it was up to two months before he passed so and these like i said these are you know hour-long lectures on in a podium from memory so i'm just saying that screams that to me that screams mental agility and physical agility you, when you listen to those recordings you can tell that ne- neville's not does not sound he's not slurring his words or anything like that so uh so the abdullah yeah. is this fascinating character to me uh and i've i've wondered and there's a real question I, I, when i had an interview with 2020 the idea was it, 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 there's a possibility that abdullah did not exist uh but still is important that wasn't that was a possibility to me that i accepted uh and then in mitch horowitz's book the magician for the beautiful or in i think it's like a short booklet or essay that he had he tries to document abdullah and doesn't find a lot of very direct evidence that abdullah existed uh, you refer to in in your book and research uh, Walter Layton's book, Walter Lanyon's book, um, called Abdullah Teacher Healer, and so I you know I've seen people that have read that and found it on YouTube that it said oh this is Abdullah right but you know the timing on it's a little bit weird and so I've always I've always wondered is there more where we could learn at least some verification of Abdullah and I think you found it you found some amazing information here Mm. Um, so I was wondering if you had gone and sought any more of those articles out for instance uh, we have an advertisement um, that is Abdullah's advertisement so it says are you in trouble consult Professor Abdullah most reliable um, common sense clairvoyant and it has his Lexington Avenue address for people that would try to argue that that's Mm -hmm. a different Abdullah that is the same Abdullah. We know he existed and we know what address he was at. So we mm-hmm. know that Abdullah was there. Um, then we find another article, a sage in a tight place. Professor Abdullah needed all his wisdom to get out. Um, another uh, uh, doctor of common sense for a complex business. Abdullah stuck in, I couldn't, I could barely read it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then and another mystery um, article. So I've kind of got, done some searching and I felt like I, might even, you know, um, go in to, to the New York Times. I was wondering if you had mm-hmm. found any further and, and read more of these articles that were on Abdullah. Right. Okay. So to answer your earlier point, um, th- there's some good reason to, to, to believe that, hey, Abdullah probably didn't exist because, uh, and I'll tell you why I'm going to, I don't believe that, but I'll tell you why that, that kind of um, reasoning makes sense. 
first of all, a man named Abdullah, Professor Abdullah, the whole idea of an Ethiopian man um, that, you know, dressed was a rabbi named Abdullah, like it does sort of raise eyebrows, because honestly, at that time, uh, there were a lot of people taking exotic names, and sort of uh, selling their wares under these names, uh, because there was a this sort of new understanding of different spirituality across the globe, kind of infiltrating in America. So there are absolutely uh, people that would use an Eastern sounding name and sell their sort of quote unquote spiritual wares, but it was probably just someone from America, if you know what I'm getting at. So there were some people that rightfully were suspicious that maybe this was someone that was made up. But I didn't get that sense at all when I first started learning about Abdullah. Um, and I, however, I will say the difference between researching Neville Goddard's story is that Neville Goddard's story, when you look for the research, it's there. It's available. It was easily mm -hmm. found. Whereas Abdullah, I mean, the more I looked, the more in circular I would go. And then uh, I would I would, I would, would get the sense that this was a real man, but that he didn't live in the same time, space, reality that we did. And doesn't that kind of make sense? We know Neville met Abdullah in his late 80s. And, uh, you know, that's a rather old age for someone to be so nimble and sitting in an opera for five years. Uh, we hear people speaking about Abdullah, but their years don't seem to make sense. You mentioned the Walter C. Lanyon book. Um, he wrote two books where Abdullah is mentioned, and both of those books really do sound like the exact same Abdullah. He even talks about the Pearl of Great Price. The, the man described in those books and the teachings sound like the exact same Abdullah of Neville, but the timing doesn't make sense. So I used to ask myself, is Abdullah real? Now, we when you know who you really are, we know the word real means different things and it has different connotations. But I asked myself, is Abdullah real? And I, I, I will say this, I have a mentor that reminds me a lot of Abdullah. And um, this person, I won't tell say who this is, but this person uh, is able to shift their data online. So what I mean is, I was searching this person's information online to see, like put together the pieces. That information before my very eyes was revised and shifted. I cannot find this person's information online anymore. And when I asked this mentor about how come I can't find that information, that article, that online resource that you put out there, they just said they revised. They don't want people to find that old side. And I wonder if Abdullah had that same technique or the same perspective where he was like, I'm here to teach. I'm not here to be on podiums, but I'm here to teach the masters. I mean, he's a master's master. He found the masters and wanted to impart his wisdom in the way that made sense to him without maybe leaving the same mark that Neville wanted to leave, without leaving the same mark that Joseph Murphy wanted to leave. And maybe that's so. That's why it's so hard. You can find his message easily, but you can't really find too much of his details. You know, there's some researchers that found that there were about nine Abdullahs in the census reported around the time when Neville talked about Abdullah. So only nine were reported. But of course, none of those really seemed to match the Abdullah that we were talking about. Uh, and also many immigrants didn't, uh, you know, sign up for the census and give their number. So there's a lot of mystery there is what I'm getting at. And I think that might be by design. That doesn't mean we can't have fun with it. That doesn't mean we can't like search for it. But I feel that Abdullah has a stance there of, hey, listen to my message. You don't need to find my details. Don't be so nosy. That was the, <laughs> the yeah. vibration I was getting. The article I've got to read, though. Yeah. Uh, there's a woman, Miss Fox, is suing Professor Abdullah, who told her that the man whom she was to marry had died in Cuba. If John is alive, he can prevent trouble by returning. A Harlem mystery with love, law, and necromance trimmings. I've got to read. I've got to. Did you get it? Did you read that? Was there any more to that story? 
So you can find these newspapers. The technology is essentially that you can search for keywords in a newspaper and then it'll sort of zoom into that article. Right, and the technology it's blurred, for, right? When I it's very it, blurred. It's blurred. It's very blurred. I haven't I've been trying to read it and I sort of get glimpses. And because I'm really respectful to Abdullah's stories, until I fully get the story, until I fully validate it, um, I don't want to speak on that story because there's some interesting what's really juicy is where Abdullah lived. Uh, was 30 West 72nd Street. Uh, it was a own that oh sorry, it was a home owned by a, a very famous secretary, mm -hmm. um, Morgenthau, Senri senior Henry Morgenthau. And uh, he bought the home and his son lived there. And we kind of validated uh, to the best of our ability that that is absolutely the home that Abdullah lived in based on what Neville said in his lectures. But in the, in that home, that home is advertised in newspapers as being a spiritual, a place for spiritual classes. And if you'll right. remember Neville, that's how Neville got introduced to Abdullah. Neville Saturday got introduced evening spiritual club, right? Exactly. They have all these spiritual lessons, psychic lessons. And so absolutely, Professor Abdullah, that probably was a moniker that stuck around. And he, he was teaching astrology. He was teaching psychic teachings and stuff. And of course, he knew who he was. So I want to keep that perfectly clear. Uh, this is a man that knew who he was, but also understood all these other forms of metaphysics, like the Kabbalah and, you know, so mm -hmm. many different things that, you know, Neville sort of took uh, his main message and, and kind of discarded the rest. But uh Abdullah was a professor of the metaphysics because he knew all kinds of different systems and everything too. So when we go into Neville a little bit, the interesting story is that Neville arrives in the twenties, right? And he is, he ends up being a dancer and that ends up being, so he, he is not really yeah. speaking for about 10 years, right? It's, it's this life that he's living dancing essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. He comes in 1922, which is the same year that Joseph Murphy emigrates to New York, which is really interesting. Same right. year. So he comes into to the city and he comes in as a sales clerk. That's what his uh, father has put on. He comes in as a 17 year old and he does odd, odd jobs. He's a very talented. He knows he has a, a deep talent for the arts. So he becomes a dancer eventually. But he, in the meanwhile, he's being an elevator operator, a sales clerk and a bunch of other um, kind of jobs, odd jobs. And becomes a dancer and it's only when the great depression happens um and in the meanwhile as he's you know learning about who he uh, like learning about his talents on, on and being an incredibly well-established dancer he had met abdullah already but it's only when the great depression strikes that he become you know he like like a lot of people he was pushed right. into a different state and um that's so no, when no depression that we don't really get the same novel it's it's a totally different story he doesn't he's not making money dancing anymore so he has this time to sort of explore uh his metaphysical yes. origins right um and you found some amazing pictures like um neville you know they're comparing him to rudolph valentino and and uh, uh, some strips some amazing stuff and he would he danced all over town right he danced all over actually the country so he did do uh his mainstay and his main places of uh you know i guess his mainstay was in broadway where he did a lot of incredibly mainstream shows and was lauded as not just a wonderful actor and a handsome actor, but an incredible dancer with his dance partner, Amerique. But he also went all over the globe, um, kind of like traveling with a troupe, that kind of thing. So, and that, uh, I am dying to see a video of that. I'm dying to see yes. a lot, much more video. I want much more video of Neville. I'm trying to manifest that, but Is yeah. there a video of Neville? There is not a video of Neville. There are pictures, there are recordings, but there is not a video 
of no. Well, I will say that there are, there exists possibilities and probabilities where Neville's videos have been captured and safe, and you know someone somewhere. has them. Yeah, they're somewhere, but I have not found it found them yet. Um, and neither has a lot of the people that are trying to find them because it's become a kind of a desire in the Neville community to get closer to this man and his wonderful talents. And, you know, so I think it's a group effort, but people are trying to hunt for this. So let's well, see if we can find it. Aside, you know, it's interesting to me because, you know, according to his biography, um, I believe when he moves to, to California, he has a TV show. Okay. And, I, and I'm talking as, you know, an old guy now. So, you know, and, and this is in, in like the 70s. Um, you know, what, when I remember TV, and this is back then, there was only five or six television stations. It's not like what we have with a million channels, right? Back then, there was only like five or six stations. So for, for you to get on TV is a huge deal, right? And supposedly, according to, you know, the, the research is Neville had his own show. And he would just sit and talk to the camera. And this would be after I Love Lucy. After I Love Lucy, he would pop on. So the whole entire country is watching Neville Goddard talk. I want to have these. They, um, oh I think that Mitch, Horace, Mitch Horowitz yeah. has a recording from one of those. <laughs> yeah. Nobody has the, the, they didn't keep the videos. And it was just one of those things. They just, you know, didn't, didn't keep those videos. No, they didn't. Maybe they didn't keep those videos or maybe they did. We don't know yet. You know, like right. I want to keep the probabilities and possibilities yes. open because it makes no sense. It's almost statistically like impossible that some, someone doesn't have a recording of of neville and um but you're right it's not out yet so and an another fascinating one yeah i had another lecture that um popped up and i even asked mitch horowitz about this where he's referring <laughs> to doing late night radio that neville goddard would do hours and hours of late night yeah. radio and he said you know i my voice would get tired and i'd wake up and have to do a lecture the next day and so i kind of stopped doing that but i don't speak for eight hours on the radio and like so there's Neville Goddard answering phone calls, people calling in, and he's talking on the radio. <laughs> so that is someone, way too cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Someone out there has a recording. Please, please share it with us, please. I'm sure your grandpa or somebody recorded something. Um, yeah, and you know what's really interesting? The fact that you said that. Um, there are people that were attending his lectures that are alive today still and that have videos online on YouTube. So maybe that's a good place to start to see if they took any videos. I mean, I think it's got to be there and, and um, we're just going to have to keep digging and see a lot of the research that we found are, is just to get closer because we don't want to idolize Neville. I mean, Neville right. was just a man just like us. So it's really about like getting close to a man whose message we trusted and who changed our lives. And, um, right. and I also think that if he'll, he as an entity, as a person will give us what he feels comfortable with. We'll find what he feels comfortable with. Well, it, yeah. it's true. And, 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 and I know I can hear the voices uh, of people that are watching this now. Oh man, they're just so obsessed with Neville. Like, Oh, did he go to the bathroom on Tuesday? Like <laughs> I, I can hear that. I know, I know you're out there. Yeah. I know. And, and no, that's not the way we're thinking about it. Part of the reason for this is that Neville had such a variety of different things that he taught that I believe that he taught other techniques and went through mm -hmm. other interpretations of the Bible, for instance, and other things that are just lost. Um, that's the, right. the beauty of his ovoir, of the massive amount that he taught. Um, even yeah. though it may at times sound like it's repetitive, it's not. Uh, I've learned a lot of different interpretations from the Bible, different met, different techniques that he would use, and he shared mm -hmm. different stories. And that, to me, is what is missing. I would love to get some of those 
there is uh there was a tv show and I'll, I'll i'll try to send it there was a tv show that also i'm looking for that he um co-starred on and where mm. that he would and and uh what i read about is this guy would bring on like ex, you know uh evangelist evangelists that were super hardcore about um christ and then neville <laughs> would neville would sit back and they would make claims about the bible and he would criticize them they, oh you know, he, he would totally put them on the spot and the whole thing is, right. oh, you believe this isn't, and it says this in the Bible. And then Neville would be like, no, no, it doesn't say that. And this is what it says. And he had it like, mm -hmm. and, and so they brought Neville mm -hmm. on for several episodes where they would talk about different religions and religious ideas. And they would, right. he would challenge extremists and totally just derail their arguments. <laughs> That's incredible. And to, to think that that was at that time when we're calling those people extremists because of where we're sitting, right. but they probably considered Neville an extremist who believes that we're God within. So that I mean, I, I had not really scratched the surface on a lot of the TV um, exposure that he'd had. Uh, it's extremely vast. I mean, he was so incredibly good at his career. He used so many mediums so effectively. And I, I mean, yes, I guess I am a little bit of a fangirl, but it's mostly because when I can validate that this man went um was able to get honorably discharged in the middle of the war and then go back to lecturing, that's exciting on another level. So he went back to lecturing after being dis honorably discharged but in a war, in the middle of the war with a, as a, with a healthy body. And he didn't go back for an essential service or something. He went back as a lecturer. To me, that is the kind of boldness, the kind of like, you know, being able to walk the walk that I think deserves a little bit of, you know, exploration and a little bit of honoring in a way. But I do mm. think there's a difference between idolizing the man because what he really taught us is that the answers are within and he's just, you know, he's just a mirror mm. to that. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I just wanted to bring <laughs> you on because the, your research validated a lot of the stuff that he talked about and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and made me honor and trust some of his teachings even more. And you shared a story um, on our tour a personal story that you had of applying Neville's technique. And I wanted yes. you to share that with, with everybody that it resonated with me. Um, it, this mm -hmm. is not just about the history of Neville. You've taken what Neville has taught you and you've applied it in your life. Oh, absolutely. Um, and Brian, I, I'm going to have to ask you to pause this at this point because that $1.2 million story, I think um, I have, I want to say that, but then when I told my mom that I had said that on the bus, she was like, are they going to find me? Like, because this is my mom's story. Uh, and she's like, right, maybe like, don't say that anymore. Cause I'm trying to find, you know, I don't want people to know about it. So that's a real, that's a real freaking story. So I, but I'm not going to go do that. Cause I have 700,000 other ones. Tell me any story. Yeah. Uh, I didn't pause okay. it for that, but um, you know, okay. um, yeah. all right. So just tell me no, another no. story. Yeah. I should have paused it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, yeah. One of the best and most pivotal aspects of understanding Neville's teachings has been the fact, and, and, and that, that's what it should be, tested and see, right? Tested yourself and see, mm -hmm. has been the uh, uh, the way that it's applied in my life in areas of uh, work, in areas of friendship. Uh, and these are drastic changes, you know, from zero, zero to 100, uh, from areas of like lots of different crises I've been in. But one one story I'd like to share, and this is this is something that might sound a little vain on, on the face of it, no pun intended. Uh, it'll sound a little vain, but it's actually something that has reverberated in other areas of my life about what is really possible when it comes to health. So I, for 10 years, struggled with having really severe acne, like incredibly weird bouts of acne that um, felt like 
you know, skincare would help for a little bit, but then would get worse and worse. And I, I know many, many people that can relate to this struggle. And it's a struggle that's really embarrassing because it's about your face. I mean, you want to make eye contact, you want to be able to express yourself, but you know, you, you sometimes will feel that people's eyes are where they don't, you know, they shouldn't be. And it's something that, you know, that that can really bring you down. And we all we all know that we all understand that. So for 10 years, I was using the law of attraction in different ways. Uh, but it wasn't until I decided I was done. I was completely done with having pimples. I And I was completely bought the pearl that the only thing that was going to help my skin was my mind. So what I actually did was threw away all my skincare. It's going to sound a little radical and I'm not suggesting anyone do this but I threw away all my skincare and like I basically used whatever soap I could find like I would use like soap like when we were in the hotel for the Mad Mystic tour for example I just used the hotel soap I did not want to I did not want to give any second cause any power anymore and I was every time I would see a pimple I'd be like nope my imagination my skin's clear and I gotta tell you for the last three months my skin has been the most clear it's ever been in my life and it really changed my perspective on for example, I don't know, taking a Tylenol when I have a headache or uh, it really just changed my perspective on everything. Because again, it sounds like a vain thing just to have smooth skin. Okay, you, you don't have pimples anymore. Cool. But what does that really mean about health? What does it mean about our bodies? What does it mean? Like what, what other implications like that does it have for a health perspective? When I see, for example, if my mom or like if someone I know has, a, you know, is taking medication for something you know what I mean? It had all these other implications. And so that was one that um, it was a, a, kind of a recent one. And it was also one that I really wanted to do because my my friends, I have a lot of, uh, I'm going to call them normie friends or muggle friends. No, you know, no, no offense, uh, but they might not know about Neville's teachings. They were able to see the difference. And when they asked me, so what is your new skincare uh, regimen that, that you don't have this anymore? I could, I could literally say it was affirmations and have the proof of like, going within and being saying, I'm done. I never need skincare anymore. That was literally my slam the door moment. So mm -hmm. I hope I hope that was a good one, but that That's was the perfect. one that came no. to mind. Yeah. No, and and it it, it one of the, the really special things about that tour was just meeting um a lot of other people that had been touched by Neville. And it's uh it, it's it, it's powerful. And and if there are people and that you know um hang out. You know that, that one of the things is the energy of of, of multiple manifestors getting together it, it, it's kind of a cool thing um there's something special that happens when you get people that are coming together that believe in this stuff strongly and so that was one thing i took away from it yeah very true like being around others that have loosened assumptions means that you cool stuff happens and i gotta tell you that trip to new york was the most serendipitous it was like serendipity city because mm -hmm. every person I met had connections with each other people that didn't even know each other had incredible connections to each other uh and we we were able to manifest from having an incredibly rainy day on the tour to just moments of rain and kind of like perfect okay weather mm -hmm. uh we, ha we had so many cool manifestations happen just during the tour day and then the party that we had in the evening of where Mitch showed up that was so cool mm -hmm. um so yeah, I hear you. I think that that's exactly what we do with the School of Imagination is put together events and different community groups um, so that we can be around the people that know who we are and life gets better that way. It really does, just practically speaking. Is there any modern day authors that have touched you similar to Neville? I mean, it's not all Neville, you know, and there's all mm -hmm. these amazing teachers and authors on YouTube and, and they're writing books. Has, have, there, have there been any that you have found that this sort of um, touched you in a similar way. 
I think there's an incredible amount of amazing authors. Um, I think that if, if, okay, so let me, let me answer it like this. It's a really good question. I'm going to answer your question a little bit differently. I'm going to say that there's been a lot of modern books I've read about the ancients. So um, there's modern recently released books by all kinds of different authors. But what they're doing is exploring ancient philosophy and ancient, um, for example, Hindu texts. And so I'm reading a lot of that, their sort of interpretation. So there's a lot of modern mystics that know who we are. And they're going back and um, revisiting things like, uh, for example, the Upanishads. And so one of the books I'm reading right now is an incredible uh, translator. His name is Eknath Iswaran. And if you're Indian or oh, you're, you yes. have a Hindu background, he has this book called The Upanishads. Essentially, it's a translation of it, but he also adds his um, exploration and his, his teachings. You cannot help as a Neville student, but to be completely blown away by what the ancients knew. So that's kind of where uh, my area mm -hmm. of interest is right now, is the sort of modern take on ancient, you know, ancient yeah. ideas. You're so right. The Upanishads are are making the same argument that Neville is that we are God, and I believe Upanishads are pre-Bible, right? It's like absolutely. So and yeah. they're and they're saying we are God. You know that's what's so amazing about the Upanishads. This is mm. not a new. This is not a new argument. This is this is something that's been going on and on. So. Um, Absolutely, because a lot of these saints and a lot of the mystics, their methodology of understanding is different. So if your methodology is going within, you're going within imagination. So that's already truth seeking, right? So if you ever are interested in mystic traditions, think about their methodology. Is it looking outwards and making deductions about based on history and people and when they lived and when they died? Is that the interpretation or is the interpretation going within and making sense of conscious states and that's what the Upanishads do is they make sense of all the different states that not just humans but all creatures can be in and they explain that all the different states that all creatures can be in across all life is actually Brahman which is absolute reality which is God consciousness so it, it makes the it actually makes the case that all these other gods that you might have heard of in the Hindu tradition like Krishna and all these people all these amazing millions of gods are also uh, just an exploration of consciousness so it kind of takes the it takes all the ritualistic aspects of Hinduism away, if you know what I'm getting at, where mm -hmm. it's like, Krishna is my savior. And we do the same thing with Krishna. A lot of uh, modern Hindus do the same thing with Krishna that, you know, modern Christians do with Jesus, where they put them out there and pray to him. Right. right. But this, if you read the Upanishads, you, you kind of get a sense of how consciousness is true reality. So that's that's what I've been reading. Something I always like to ask uh, my guests is, 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 we're obviously in a moment where we're um, developing our own spirituality. I'm in a shared moment with you where we have a mutual interest in our own consciousness and its effect on reality. Do you, do you see that our spiritual, our spiritual nature or consciousness changing and what is the next level of consciousness in your own mind through wow. your own journey that you can see? That is an incredible question. And that really brings me, you know, brings to mind Josiah, who's a futurist and has incredible ideas about the future of humanity um, that I'm still, you know, kind of grappling with and understanding. So I just want to give a shout out to Josiah that and he, you know, his work mm -hmm. uh, as a futurist and his explanation of other futurists work. Definitely check out his Instagram and all that good stuff. But anyway, um, my thought is that especially reading the Upanishads and also reading a set of books by uh, set of books by Sri Aurobindo 
that yes, we are here to have conscious evolution. And that is, that's exactly like how evolution um, pushes forward is through consciousness. So literally from dinosaurs to now, it's consciousness shaping all of the all like nature human beings and all that good stuff you know where i really see the next so so what i'm saying is at a meta scale absolutely conscious evolution is happening and you know we don't need to we don't even need to be a like it's not even in our will like we're going to be pushed towards evolution because that's just how consciousness works uh but for for what i believe for humanity and where i think we're going is that we're going to realize that desires can be fulfilled like a lot of Eastern thought and uh, has been misinterpreted or maybe Eastern thought uh, has explored this in, in, a, in a different kind of way than, it, than where I'm headed with it, which is that desire, when it's fulfilled, you start to realize we're all one. Because if I have it now, it was always within me. And so I really think things like the law of attraction, law of assumption gets criticized a lot for pushing, you know, sort of like pushing desire fulfillment, pushing um, get, get, get mentality and maybe capitalism and that kind of thing. But I think once we get over it, once we realize, oh my gosh, I can get everything that I want, we get over it. And then we realize what's, what's there more to life than just desire fulfillment. Maybe there's more to life than just getting everything I want, but I don't think you get there until you, you know, until you get what you want. And that only happens when survival is fulfilled. That can only happen. And, and, you know, you can see why in the Western, uh, Western areas of, of the world, why a lot of people who are very have everything are very miserable and they, they lose their health yeah. anyway, you know? Right. And so I think if we can, if we can really remember, like if, if we can get to a place where we know who we are through manifestation, I really believe that. Uh, I think that's where, that's where we're headed, but it's something that I, I think is really important because until I'm happy, I'm not able to serve anyone else until I get my stuff in order. I'm not able to help anyone. So I think that that's, that's kind of the next step. It's true. It's like, it's like we're in kindergarten, you know, the, the first step is just, learning this power that we have to achieve whatever we want and once we've achieved that the rest of it comes i that you know it's just the first step and desire is obviously some sort of interior signal that it's something that we're supposed to move we, we desire to drink water because we get thirsty we we desire to eat because we need food right we have uh-huh. other desires and that those desires are as neville taught natural it is a good thing for us to seek to fulfill those desires I love it is that. a part of our evolution, uh, right? I just love that so much. And that's part of the reason Neville's pure purity of message really appealed to me is because um, it, it, it helped to illuminate that, like that idea that sin, I'm not a sinner and sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of my desire because my desire is so pure that actually sinning would be missing, missing the mark of like honoring that desire and, and making it happen. So it, 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 that's part of why I love him so much is that he put the idea of desire being anything evil on its head by making sense of it. You know, you're going to be desirous of things for the rest of your life. Might as well learn how to fulfill them. And then on the way, it teaches you who you are. So Shweta, it's been such a joy to talk to you <laughs> further about all this stuff. And everybody should check out the, the School of Imagination, Shweta Harihadan. I just want to thank you for expanding my knowledge of Neville and just giving me an opportunity to talk about this stuff. It's been a real joy. Oh my God, it's been such a pleasure. You have you have such a great interviewing style and have asked me questions I haven't I haven't thought about or no one's ever asked me. And I, I think about this stuff all day. So uh, kudos to you for that. And uh, thank you for having me. Thank you and welcome to the Reality Revolution. <laughs> we return you now to your local announcement.